What's up? Thank you for tuning in to this UF Student Podcast. We're so excited that you stopped by to listen. If you have any questions, shoot us a DM on Instagram or Twitter at CUF Students. So, um, tonight's going to be a little bit of fun. And we're going to have some good conversation. They're going to have some real good conversation. Um, but before we dive in, I, I seriously, I want us to just pray for a second. And pray that God would speak to us about something that I think is incredibly important and relevant to us tonight. So, uh, will you just pray with me for just a second? God, we thank you for tonight. God, again, I thank you that we get to laugh and we get to have fun and create awkward situations. But Father, I, I pray right now that you would have our attention. I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by anything going on outside of this room, anything that's going on at school this week or at home or at work or on the baseball team, the basketball team, whatever it is going on outside this place, I pray that it would have nothing to do with what's about to happen in here. God, that we would open our minds to what you want to teach us, what you want to speak to us. And Father, that there would be an adequate response to that tonight. So we give you this time, we give you our attention, and we ask with great expectation that you will do something big in our lives tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I went to the great university known as Texas A&M University, all right, and um, <laughs> um, and here's the deal, like I used to be part of that crowd that just booed me. Um, I didn't grow up an Aggie fan, I didn't grow up um, interested in going to A&M, and so I didn't know a lot about Texas A&M before I got there. And as I got there, if you've been around Texas A&M at all or you've paid attention to it, some of you are planning to attend there. Some of you are planning to go anywhere other than there. Um, and that's, that's, that's cool. You do you. But as I began to get acclimated to Texas A&M, one of the things that I began to understand and learn about really, really quickly was this thing called Midnight Yell. Anybody ever heard of Midnight Yell? So Midnight Yell happens every single Friday night before a Saturday football game. And what it is, is it's basically an opportunity for us to uh, come together as Aggies and practice the yells. Now, that's kind of weird. I know. You're like, well, practice the yells? That's stupid. All right? What's the point of that? Well, the, the point, the reason that they do that is because they believe that if you get eighty to 100,000 people in a stadium all yelling the same thing at the same time, it makes a greater impact on the game that's going on in the field. And so they get together every Friday night and they begin to practice these yells so that they're ready for the next day. The student body, 45, 50,000 college students are ready to yell their lungs out um, to affect the opposing team. And so as we were getting ready to go over there the very first time, I knew a little bit about it. I knew about the tradition. We're walking in and some of my roommates said, hey, um, are you guys going to mug down tonight? And I was like, what? We're going to mug down? What, what, what are you talking about? Like, well, there's, there's going to be this point at the end of yell practice where the lights are going to go out and you're going to have the opportunity to mug down. And I'm like, God, that's what? What, what are you talking about? What, what, is, what do you mean mug down? Like, Dude, just, just go with it. Now, here's the thing that was interesting. As we walked into the stadium, a couple of my roommates had their girlfriends with them. I'm just a single guy, all right? I got no girl with me. I, had no, I didn't have a date. And so what happens is at the end of every single yell practice, they turn the lights off in the entire stadium, and you make out with your date. Dude, I started freaking out. I'm like, what? 
Like, I don't, what, what if I'm like the only one and I don't have anybody? Like, dude, they're like, don't worry about it. Just hold up a lighter, find a lighter, hold a lighter up. And then if you have a lighter up, then other people who don't have somebody, they'll hold a lighter up. You'll find each other and you mug down with them. And I'm like, and immediately my mind began to flood with different thoughts of what that experience was going to be like. I began to think like, what if I'm the only person there? It's like, lights go out. It's like, like looking at the people next to me and they're just kissing. You're just like, they're like, what are you looking at, creeper? I'm like, nothing, nothing. Or, or what, if, what if I'm standing there, I got my lighter up, and this person comes out of the shadows, and he's like, oh, dang. <laughs> like, oh. <coughs> like, fall down, start going into convulsions. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm, I got the flu, all right? I got the, I got the virus. Like, <laughs> like what, what, what's going to happen? And so there's that moment, and we get to it, and it was incredibly overwhelming. And so I began to just kind of sit there and try to, deal with like what in the world am I supposed to do in this moment what is what is the adequate way to respond and it was a moment of stress and anxiety and a little bit of confusion but as I began to think back to that it's interesting to begin to think about the fact that a simple flip of a switch could cause that type of panic or that type of anxiety so hey I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys to I, I just a little tip, Sean. Um, I, I just like whispering on dates is is golden, huh? I, no, no, not not super loud. But I'm just trying to I'm just trying to help you out. That's all. I just like. Oh, okay, okay. You might want to like some of this. What I'm going to say actually might be really valuable. You know, just if this if there was any like really good chemistry going on. Um, some of this might, I'm just, just helping you out. Um, but anyways, thinking back to the, to Kyle Field midnight yell practice, it's, it's interesting to think about a simple flip of a switch could create this crazy moment of emotions and anticipation and anxiety. I mean, there's some people that probably walk in that stadium on that night. They don't use lighters as much anymore because we have cell phones. So you just hold up your cell phone light. But they walk into that stadium and there's this great anticipation. You're like, man, tonight is the night. This, this is, you've got your date with you and you're like, oh man, I finally got my date for yell practice. You're not paying attention to the yells. You don't care about anything that's going on in the stadium. But when those lights go off, you're like, oh yeah, how you doing? You know, it's like, and then there's other people that are just like, maybe they've been dating somebody for a long time. They've been in a relationship with this person for years. They get to yell practice and they're just kind of like the little cute old married couple and they're just kind of like a little peck on the cheek and they've you know that 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 whole like spark isn't quite there like it used to or maybe there's some in the stadium that in that moment it brings back a memory or brings back the idea or the thought of maybe the year before where they were there and they had a date they were in a relationship and they begin to think back on that relationship and maybe the pain that it created or the regret that they carry with them because the relationship didn't turn out the way that they hoped that it would turn out but it creates this mixed feeling, a mixed reaction. What will I do in that moment? Who will I be with in that moment? Will I find anyone in that moment? And the reason that I share that story with you guys tonight is because the same thing happens Anytime I get on a stage where I'm walking through the halls at your school, hanging out in your cafeteria, hanging out somewhere, and I see you guys, and I'm like, hey, what, you, you ask, oftentimes I get asked the question, hey, what are, we, what are we talking about at church tonight? I say, hey, we're going to talk about dating and relationships. 
a similar response happens for many people like I just described at Kyle Field during Midnight Yell. This, this moment for some were like, sweet, I can't wait. I love talking about relationships. In fact, I'm here with somebody that I'm in a relationship and you're like, baby, we could talk about relationships for like seven weeks. I don't care because this, this is about us and we are amazing. For others, it's like this deep groan. You're like, are you serious? I don't want to talk about relationships because when I start to think about relationships, it brings back memories and they're not pleasant memories. Or as you begin to think about being um, taught and communicating about relationships, you already have this idea of what is going to communicate, be communicated. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. I'm not sure that's best for me. And so there's this tension that we find ourselves in. But I think it's important for us to have some sort of idea, some sort of direction when we think about relationships and what they mean for us and how to pursue them, how to walk in relationship with other people. And listen, as I talk about this, I'm going to spend a lot of time tonight, tonight talking about the dating romantic relationship. But everything that I say tonight is true, not just in romantic relationships, but when it comes to friendships as well. And so I want us to think about this because I think there's, there's a way to do this that sets us up for the best relationship. You know, so oftentimes we, we don't really know how to start off. Like, do I text her first? Do I text him first? Do I send him a Snapchat? Do I, do I send him a, a DM on Twitter? Like, how do, I, how do I connect? How do I pursue them? How do I have the conversation? How, what's, what's the rules? And there's not really a clear, defined set of rules. And if you think about it like this, you begin to look around, you're like, well, what's everybody else doing? How did, how did they get together? Or how did he and she start talking? How, how did that relationship end up so well? And you start asking, so you start watching, and you start looking, and you start trying to discover, how can I find myself in the perfect relationship? Friendship, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. You start thinking, I want the perfect relationship. And so you begin to look. The danger with that is you look into the world, and you see all these different ways to do it. And it's similar to just walking around in the dark. And what happens is, I, I like to think about it this way. Um, there's times in my house where I find myself walking in the dark. Sometimes my, my boys upstairs, I'll walk into their bedroom early in the morning. The sun's not up. And I'll start walking. And you never really know what you're going to find in my boys' bedroom. Sometimes the floor is completely clean. Other times it's an absolute disaster. And so there's moments where I'll walk in their room and it's dark and I can't see. I don't know what's in front of me. I have an idea of where I'm going and where I want to end up, but I can't really see clearly. And so I start to just kind of step carefully, you know? You ever walked in a dark room? You kind of start walking, and after you take a few steps, you kind of start to gain a little more confidence. And then you kind of begin to believe. You're like, hey, you know what? I think, I think the coast is clear. I think I can make this. And right about the moment you think the coast is clear, I'm going to make it to my destination, boom! You find that wooden stool or that stupid Lego and you hit that, and then you scream, you turn the light on, you look down, and your toe is pointing out the other direction. And you're like, ah, 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 ah. Like, what happened? Here's what happened. You started walking down a path that you thought was going to be okay, and as you started navigating down that path, you began to have confidence that it was going to work out, and you began to think, oh, maybe this isn't so bad after all. Maybe this is the right way. Maybe this is a safe way to navigate. And then you find yourself in a dangerous, hurtful situation. The same thing happens in our lives, in relationships with other people. As long as we look around and we look into the world and we look at culture and we look at social media and we look at the pop stars and we look at all of those different ways to have relationship, we can find ourselves 
as if we were walking through the dark thinking the coast is clear, but there's something greatly destructive ahead of us that will destroy our lives, will wreck our lives, will cause tons of pain, regret, shame, frustration. And so I want to look at a story quickly tonight in John chapter 4. Because I think that there's something for us to take tonight that we can all navigate in the same way that is going to set us up not just to find the best friends and the best friendships or the best boyfriend or the best girlfriend, but to be the best friend, to be the best boyfriend, to be the best girlfriend as we navigate in life. If we can get this tonight, it puts you in the best place to have successful relationships. So let's take a look at John chapter 4, beginning of verse 4. It says this, Now he, being Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. It sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now stop right there. Little context here. Jesus is traveling. He's on his way somewhere. And it, says, it tells us that he had to go to Samaria. Why is that important? Here's a little context for you. This was a small um, area, a small group of people um, that were part of a larger group that had kind of defected from southern Israel. And there was some severe uh, prejudice between these two different people groups. So much so that Jesus and the people that he um, grew up around, the Jews, that they would make it a point to get to their destination to the north. They would go around Samaria. They would never go through it. Because if they went through it, it meant that they would either lose their life or they would be seen as defiled. And nobody wanted that. But yet Jesus made it a point, it was his intention that he would walk into Samaria, he would go to Samaria, and we find out that he begins to have a conversation, he begins to have an interaction with this Samaritan woman. It's important for us to understand the context. Let's continue on in the second part of verse 7. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. It wasn't Sunday, so they probably went to Chick-fil-A to get some Christian chicken. Verse 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, I just think right there for just a second. There was probably an awkward pause between verses 8 and 9. Like, I don't think this was just a, Will you give me a drink? And then she says, You are a Jew. I think that Jesus, being a Jew, sees the Samaritan woman. He goes, Will you give me a drink? And she's like, Say what? Like, she's just giving him, I mean, she's just mean mugging him. Like, there was probably a, a moment of just awkward silence because this kind of interaction did not happen. Especially in the middle of the day, in the Middle East, where it's incredibly hot. Jesus steps onto the scene. He begins to have a conversation with a woman who nobody else wants to have anything to do with because she has a horrible reputation. So there's this awkward tension that begins to build between verses 8 and 9. Continue on in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. At this point in the conversation, the woman thinks that this is just about H2O, okay? She's just, he's just having a conversation about water. Continues on in verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Verse 12. 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Like in this moment, she's got a little bit of sarcasm. She's got a little bit of sass. There's a little bit of an edge to the woman in response to Jesus. This man, who's from a different people group that she doesn't associate and she knows has no desire to associate with her, begins to come and talk to her about water. So she's like, what? What are, you, what are you even talking about? She thinks that Jesus has lost his mind. Continue on in verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks this water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Something's beginning to shift. You see the sarcasm, the edginess of the woman, and then all of a sudden she, she responds with, wait a minute, what? maybe there's something more to this conversation than what I realized. So she says, sir, give me this water. Like, that sounds good. I, I'll, I'll, I think I'll try it. Verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband, and come back. This is where it gets real awkward. Verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Can you imagine the tension in that moment? He's like, hey, go call your husband and come back. Uh, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You don't have a husband. Look what it says after that. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have, what you have just said is quite true. Now, that's, that's kind of awkward. And let's just pause right there for just a second. Jesus steps onto the scene. He goes to a place that nobody from his people, from his culture, would have any desire to ever go. He begins this conversation with a woman, and he asks her a question. He says, go tell your husband. And he sets her up for something. He wants her to understand who he is. In order for, him to under, for her to understand who he is, he had to address something significant in her life. He says, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You've actually had five husbands, and you're now on man number six, and he's not your husband. You're just shacking up with him. Like, roasted. All right, like she's, this, this is awkward. She's in this moment, she's having a conversation and this man who she's never seen, never met, knows nothing about, totally exposes some of the deepest, craziest things in her life. He begins to dig up some things that she's probably not real comfortable talking about. But here's what begins to get, here, here's what's happening in this moment. A conversation about water begins to make sense in her mind. You see her begin to start to consider that maybe Jesus is talking about something more than just a drink of water. But it's interesting that Jesus steps into this place to talk about water in, in order for her to see more of who he is. Because daily, she returned for water at noon. Why did she go for water? Because she was thirsty. Rocket science, right? So she would step on the scene. She would get water because she was thirsty. And then the next day she would wake up, she was thirsty, she would go and she would get more water. And in the same way, what Jesus is exposing is that she looks at romance to do the same thing in her life. She looks at relationships to fill a need in, a, in her life, to satisfy a longing, to satisfy something that she's thirsty for in her soul. But what she's discovered and how she's lived and the way that she's navigated relationships has led her to a place where she finds herself complete, continuing to be 
not satisfied with the relationship. So she leaves that relationship and tries another one. She finds that it can't fill the void. It can't satisfy the thirst. So she moves on to the next one and then to the next one and then to the next one. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he begins to expose what's happening. You see, what's interesting is that she was married five times and then all of a sudden she's on the sixth one. She's even given up on the idea of marriage. Just as the woman went to the well for water to satisfy her thirst physically, she returned to relationships to satisfy a thirst in her soul. You see, there's a void in every single one of us. There's a thirst, there's a hunger for something that gives lasting satisfaction, lasting worth, lasting value. And we exhaust ourselves trying to fill that satisfaction. You see, it's really easy to see the story and begin to judge and try to think that, that she was messed up. But what she's doing is the same thing that we find ourselves doing constantly. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 20. Lord, I'm sorry, right there. Stop right there. Here's what happens. This is, this, is, this is interesting. She begins to have a conversation with Jesus. He exposes her need for him, the living water. Her response is questions. I can't tell you how oftentimes I'll have conversations with somebody about faith, about Jesus, about relationship with Jesus, and they respond with questions. Well, Wes, what about, what about this? Or what about, what about the people that never hear about Jesus? Or Wes, what about, what about abortion? What do you think about abortion? What do you think Jesus thinks about abortion? Wes, what do you think about homosexuality? What do you think Jesus thinks about homosexuality? What if this? What if then we respond with these deep theological controversial questions in a, as a way to kind of put up our guard because we don't want to deal with some of the deepest, darkest areas of pain and frustration in our lives. And we see this in the life of this woman. She begins to press back with questions because she's not sure she wants to deal with what Jesus has just exposed in her life. Jesus is wanting us to answer some questions tonight. He's not wanting us to answer the questions with more questions about who he is or what he thinks about something. He wants us to answer a few questions like, where are we going in life? He wants you to reflect. He wants you to think about what, what, what's, what's the purpose of where you're heading in life? How happy are you in the direction that you're going in this life? Ultimately, I think the question he's asking us tonight is the same question he's asking her. Who is the Lord of your life? Who is leading you in this life? And specifically, when it comes to relationships. They begin to have a long conversation. She's been living with a lot of shame, a lot of hurt. She's been covering that up with relationship after relationship with, with relationship, her relationships began to be band-aids to continue to cover up what hurts and what's broken. And it really becomes a life of desperation. And I think it's interesting for us to begin to recognize that tonight because 
we can find ourselves in that same place. And I say we because I can have the same tendency. You're like, Wes, you're married. This is easy for you to figure this out. But the reality is, is even in a marriage, you can find yourself in a place where you are looking to that relationship, that husband, that wife. Maybe you're a best friend with somebody. You have a brother, a sister, a mom, or dad, and you look to them to satisfy a need in your life that they're not capable of satisfying. And so when you begin to pursue somebody, you think, man, this is the one. He's the one for me. He might be the one for you, but he's not the one that ultimately gives you all the satisfaction you need in life. And for you to think that he is or that she is, is setting him or her up to fail. And that's not fair. So it's important for us to understand that because we find ourselves in a desperate pursuit of healthy relationships. And we think of healthy as one who makes me feel complete. But no relationship should ever make you or I feel complete. And when we pursue relationships with the desire to feel complete, what we are doing is we are pursuing relationships out of desperation. And we find ourselves in desperation. It always leads to destruction. It always leads to devastation. Desperation is never a healthy thing. When there becomes, I heard a, I heard a guy say this not too long ago. But when there becomes a moment of scarcity, a moment of scarcity, a moment of panic, when we find ourselves in a situation where we feel like we absolutely need something in order to survive, when we find ourselves in that moment of scarcity, we panic and it leads us to a moment of desperation. And when we find ourselves in a moment of desperation, it always leads to a moment of devastation. When I was in high school, I had a good friend named Victor, and we were out on a kind of a mission project, not really, just a service project. We were helping some guys out on a farm one Saturday, and there's not a lot of big bodies of water in far west Texas, but there was this huge, like, dirt pond that was probably twice the size of this room. And so not, not a super massive place, but for west Texas, it was a big body of water. And so we were hanging out, we were eating our lunch, and then we started talking. We were like, hey, y'all want to swim across this? And we're like, yeah, let's swim. So we started swimming. Two of my friends went first. And then me and Victor, we jumped in and we started swimming. I was a decent swimmer. Victor claimed to be a decent swimmer. We start swimming. We get out to the middle of the pond. All of a sudden, Victor no longer claims that he's a decent swimmer. And very, very quickly, he goes from claiming to be a decent swimmer to being in a moment of desperation. And in that moment of desperation, he panicked. Because he began to go underwater. And as he went underwater, he began to lose air. And there was a moment of scarcity for him. There was a moment of panic in his life. Because he knew he needed air in order to survive. And in that moment of scarcity, he found himself in a moment of desperation. In that moment of desperation, we find ourselves on the verge of devastation. Because what began to happen is he began to panic. And as he started to go under, I'm next to him. He begins to grab me and he begins to climb me and start to push me down in order to get above the water so that he can get the air that he needs to survive. And in this moment of panic and this struggle, I start like kicking on him. I start punching on him. I start doing anything I can because he's pushing me under and I see the sun getting smaller. I feel the water getting colder, but he's trying to get air and I'm trying to hold my breath. I'm trying not to die. I try to find myself in a, in a panic, in a place of desperation. And so there's a struggle going on. I come up for, for air and I'm yelling at my friends who are on their way out to help us. And I finally get around Victor. I get behind him and I'm trying to kind of keep my distance, but keep him afloat. And then finally my friends get out there. I get to the side. They get Victor to the side. And needless to say, we were no longer swimming buddies. 
Um, we really weren't ever great buddies after that to begin with or after that. But here's what happened in that moment. In that moment, he was desperate for air. And in that moment of desperation, it almost led to a place of devastation. And immediately, when we find ourselves in that moment of desperation, we think about nobody but ourselves. And it's incredibly dangerous because we'll do anything at all costs to get what it is that we have to have to survive. And I'm afraid that that's the route many of us take when it comes to relationships, especially romantic relationships. We're desperate. We need a relationship to survive. And so we go after a relationship at all costs. And then we find ourselves in that relationship. And in that relationship, we're pursuing the relationship in order to fulfill a need for us. There's a void in our life, a God-shaped void. And we try to take a boy or a girl or a friendship and try to fill that void with that. And it's not adequate. But we keep pressing. We keep thinking, this is going to fix it. This is going to make me feel satisfied. This is going to fulfill my life. This is going to make me feel complete. It's why we spend hours in front of the mirror trying to make ourselves look good. It's why we spend hours on social media wanting more likes, more follows, more people to pay attention to us. It's why we look to that guy to feel complete. It's why we look to that girl to feel special. It's because there's a void in our life. And we find ourselves in a moment of panic to fill that void. And what begins to happen is we begin to destroy the relationships around us that we are looking to to bring satisfaction. And it's devastating because it always leads to a place of hurt and regrets. I think it's important for us to understand this tonight. Because listen, as followers of Jesus, that was never our intent. Our intent was never to take life out of this world. The intent as followers of Jesus was to bring life to the world. But as long as we're pursuing that relationship to fill the God-sized void in our hearts, it leads to destruction it's the reason in Matthew 22, Jesus says there's, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. But then he says there's a second command that's like it. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want this to kind of sit and just be something you consider as you leave this place tonight. At, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as, what's that word? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, here's what's interesting. We hear that first verse that I, I don't have it up here tonight, but where God says, love the Lord your God. He basically says, love me first. With everything you are, love me. As we begin to chase after Jesus, as we begin to pursue Jesus, we begin to run after him with everything that we are. He begins to fill the void in our life that only he can fill. And then as we begin to experience his love, his worth, his value on my life, then I begin to understand that I am loved and that I am valuable and that I am worth something. And when I understand that about myself, then I'm able to love my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? It's not the person at the address next door. It's every single person I come in contact with. You and I cannot love people well as Jesus is describing here unless we love God first and understand his love for us first, and then we're able to love ourselves. And then as we're able to love ourselves, we're able to love others. Because as long as you and I don't value ourselves, we don't love ourselves, 
then the only reason we're loving other people is to make us feel loved. And that's always dangerous because you find yourself in that moment of panic, in that moment of desperation, because the only person you're looking out for is yourself, not the person you love. And so that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You see, Jesus is sitting at the well with this woman. And he's saying, listen, your remedy for your life to fill the thirst, to, to quench the thirst in your life is me, Jesus. Here's what's interesting. She had been married how many times? Five. She was shacking up with number. Jesus was the seventh. What's the number of perfection? Seven. Jesus steps onto the scene. He says, listen, there's only one who can complete you, who can bring full satisfaction in your life, and it's me, Jesus. Run after me because I chased after you. Now, here's what's interesting. As we begin to understand this relationship and what it means to pursue a relationship with Jesus and how that impacts the relationships with us, we begin to see and understand Jesus' love for us and how that begins to pour out in our lives as we're running to this. I think it helps us understand the value of being single. Because listen, some of us in the room tonight think about being single as if we've caught some kind of sickness. You're like, she's single. Ew. She's, did you hear? She's single. She's single. Or you're like, I'm single. Have you ever had a date? No. Have you ever been in a relationship? It's like something we're ashamed of. It's like the scarlet letter in our society. But listen, be patient. Because what a great place to cultivate a healthy relationship with Jesus. How great is it to have extra time to chase after Jesus and build that relationship with Jesus so that you understand his love for you in order that you can love others around you better. You see, we get distracted. When we're in a relationship, we get distracted. When we're single, we don't have anything to be distracted by. I mean, we still do, but not like a relationship. I mean, some of you get that. It's interesting to watch and hear on Wednesday nights. Some of you, like during the worship, you're, you're fully engaged during worship. During the praying, you're fully engaged in praying. During the teaching time, you're listening, you're paying attention. You're fully engaged. And others, you're distracted. You're sitting next to somebody and he's cute. Or he's got potential. Or he smells good. And you're like, our arms are touching. What does that mean? He just moved his hand closer to me. Is he about to grab my hand? Oh, he smells so good. And we're distracted. We can't focus because we're so obsessed with relationships to fill this void in our life that that relationship or that cute boy with potential next to you has no ability to fulfill. So speaking of being single, I want to check on our friends over here. Um, you guys having a good time over here? So I know the conversation has probably been pretty strong. At least it sounds like it has been. Um, we're talking about being single. So you've been single for about a year. You were kind of single potentially maybe not single, um, depending on how last week went. And we'll ask about that another time. Um, tell me, Sean, what is something that you don't like about being single? 
He said he thinks it's great, but the microphone's not working. But every now and then, you know, it's like, oh, dang, I'm single. But then I get over it quickly, and I'm like, I'm going to college, so there's really no point. Um, And that's really what's going through my mind, because I just look for the future. Because I know if I get caught in a relationship, and I'm, I'm going to Arkansas, not Baylor, just... Why? So I'm going out of state. Well, that's a deal breaker, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we already talked about this. And so I'm going out of state. And if they stay in state, you know, yeah, I don't want yeah. that long distance relationship. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So I just drop gotcha. it. So, um, Laura, on a scale of one to ten, ten being needs to happen like yesterday. How bad do you want to be in a relationship right now? Um. Like I guess like a five or six. I'm pretty okay. content being single. Yeah. Like in my life. So. I mean, I think it's okay to have a desire to be in a relationship. Okay. So don't feel guilty about a five like, or six. I'm not. Like, this isn't an embarrassing question. Um. So, but let me ask you this. So you guys have been sitting here, and I've been speaking about relationships for the last little bit and talking about um, the impact that a relationship with Jesus has on our lives as we relate with others. How much of what I've said tonight have you guys heard? Yeah. What, uh, do you know what book I was teaching out of tonight? Take a guess. No? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. You have any idea? No. No. I feel like, yeah. No. It's, I mean, it's okay. I kind of expected you wouldn't. That's why I asked the question. Um, but uh, so let me ask you guys this. I mean, have you had a good time? No. Did you not like the chicken? Was it art? What is that? Can you guys see that on the I camera? Get a napkin, so. There's a smiley face drawn out of. Is that Sean? No, no. So, um, so listen. It is one thing to have a conversation, but to eat in front of so many people. I was like, yeah, awkward. I didn't really want to eat. Oh, so you're blaming we decided it on... we shouldn't really eat. Maybe, maybe the occasional sip. Okay, so you're blaming it on everybody else. It's everybody else's fault. No, I, I mean, I, I love the audience. I mean, that's what I heard but, you say, uh, but, you know, maybe that's not what you meant. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> didn't mean that. All right, awesome. Hey, I'm going to let you guys off the hook. You can take your food with you so you don't have to eat in front of everybody because that's kind of awkward, I hear. Yeah. Um, but let's give them a hand. Great job. Thanks for being good sports. Oh, yeah. Happy Valentine's Day a week early. Hey, next time somebody asks you, when was the last time you went on a date? You're like, February 7th, Wednesday. 2018. Wednesday. All right. I think it's the 7th, right? Yeah. All right, y'all give it up for Laura and Sean. So listen. It's interesting to think about this because we think that singleness is a virus. We think that it's a negative thing. But use that time to know Jesus, to understand Jesus, to understand his plans for your life. Because I promise you, it sets you up for a better life and better relationships. As I kind of wrap this up, I was thinking about this and reading about this, actually. Um, Oftentimes, when people think about relationships, they think about, um, you know, doing whatever feels right. Whatever's right for me. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. And as long as nobody gets hurt, it's going to be okay. And then when I begin to teach about 
what Scripture says or what Jesus lays out for us, oftentimes we roll our eyes and we think, man, that's old-fashioned, that's not relevant, that doesn't apply to the world that we live in today, Wes. Like, it's 2018. We do things differently now, Wes. And it's interesting, and so thinking about that, uh, thinking about the early church, you know, after Jesus was um, taken to the cross, after Jesus came back to life and um, spent some time with his followers before he ascended into heaven, Shortly after that, the church began to grow. It didn't just grow by a few people. It grew by thousands and thousands of people. This movement began to take over parts of the world. And it's interesting because at the exact same time that the church was exploding in growth, the Roman Empire was falling. The Roman Empire was beginning to go away. It's interesting because people who were committing their lives to Jesus were committing their lives to Jesus at risk of losing their jobs, losing friendships, losing family members, potentially even losing their lives, but yet they were committing their lives to Jesus. I mean, it's crazy to think about people like, oh, I'm going to lose my life if I follow Jesus. No, 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 I'm out. But yet people were chasing after him and the church was growing while one of the most powerful empires in the history of the world was beginning to fall. I began to think about the Roman Empire and the things that were going on in the Roman culture. It was a place where there were no sexual relationship boundaries. People just lived life the way they felt like they needed to live it. They celebrated the body. They, said they, they celebrated sexual immorality. They abused women and children. They became objects of other people's satisfaction. Women were put in slavery. Children were exploited. Um, There was tons of pain and regret and hurt and destruction because people just did what they felt like was right for them. And yet the church, all at the same time, was beginning to grow. And I think what was beginning to happen is people were beginning to look at the church. They were beginning to look at these Jesus followers. Listen. Put your phones down for just a second and just listen. People were beginning to look at the church. They were beginning to look at husbands who loved their wives well, who served their kids well, who provided for their homes, who built up homes, who loved unconditionally because they understood the love of Jesus for themselves. They saw women who were loving their husbands and their kids and their friends because Jesus loved them. They began to see it. They began to see the difference. They began to see the joy. They began to see the happiness. They began to see how there was healthy relationships going on. And it was different because of a relationship with Jesus. And so when I think about the way that relationships have been drawn out for us in Scripture, I don't look at that and think, man, that's old-fashioned and not relevant for today. Because I look at today and I look at a culture where there's really no sexual boundaries You just kind of pursue relationships and hooking up with whatever just feels right. And yet we find ourselves in a society and a culture with lots of pain, lots of regret, lots of women and children who have been abused and exploited. And I think something needs to shift. Something needs to change. I think it's time for us to step out of a dark room, navigating our way, hoping for the best. And instead, trusting the one who has provided the best because he chased after us When he came to this earth, he went to the cross, he gave his life for us so that we would have life, we would experience his love, and we would have a relationship with God that lasts forever. And so I want to close with this one last illustration. Way back in the day, 
ships that were going across the seas, they would come in closer to land and getting ready to dock or come into a port. They would find themselves in unfamiliar waters. And sometimes the weather conditions would make things crazy. Sometimes the terrain under the water was crazy. They didn't know where the reefs were. They didn't know what kind of structure was under the water. Um, They didn't know what the current was going to be like. And so it could lead um, to a, a dangerous path. They would find themselves in a place where it was difficult to navigate to safety. And so in that moment, they had to make a choice. And there were basically two options. One was they could just simply decide, hey, you know what? I got this. I'm the captain of my ship. I've got this under control. I know I've never been here, but I think I can, I think I might get there. It might cost me my ship. It might cost me my crew. It might even cost me my life, but I I got this. That was one option. The other option was there was a system in place that as you began to approach land, you began to see unfamiliar territory, unfamiliar water. You could raise up a, a specific flag to the top of your ship. And by raising that flag, what you were communicating to the people on land is, I need a co-pilot. I need somebody to come steer my ship safely to the ports. And so what would happen in that moment is somebody would jump in another boat, and they would come out to the big ships, and they would board the ship, and they would take control of the wheel, and they would begin to navigate the ship closer to the land safely so that the cargo could arrive, so the crew could arrive safely, and the captain could continue to have a ship. Now, here's what's interesting. In that moment where the second pilot gets on the ship, the captain of the ship would take that flag down, and he would put up another red and white flag. And it was to declare to everybody around that he had a pilot who could steer his ship to safety so that they didn't send somebody else and everybody knew it was going to be okay. And I think it's an interesting picture. It's a perfect picture for us tonight in life, but especially in relationships. That it's a dangerous path to navigate. And there's some things that we don't see clearly. There's some obstacles ahead of us that we're not aware of because we've never experienced it before. But Jesus wants to step in our boat. Jesus wants to be our captain. He gave his life for that so that he could navigate we would trust as he led us forward. And so I think the adequate, appropriate response to a night like tonight when we talk about dating and relationships isn't to focus on how to find the right boyfriend or girlfriend, but it's how to surrender to the right Lord. And by surrendering to the right Lord, that being Jesus, We're trusting our lives. We're trusting our relationships in his hands because we understand his love for us. As we understand his love for us, we understand that I am loved and that I can love and then I'm able to love well. So I just want us to close tonight with a couple of songs just to declare our trust in a sense to, to, to fly the flag saying, Jesus, I want you to have control. I trust you. I want you to take this ship. I give over full control of my life. Sometimes I think we think that a relationship with Jesus is just a one-time decision. I say, Jesus, be the boss of my life. Be the captain of my life. Be the Lord of my life. And then we just move on and navigate life as we would have before. But a relationship with Jesus is a constant thing that continues to happen. 
every single day, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, be the captain of my life today. You call the shots. Not because he wants to be an evil dictator, but because he loves me and I trust his plans over my plans. Can we pray? God, we thank you for tonight. God, we're grateful for relationships. We're grateful that you allow us to be in relationships with people. I pray that we would understand tonight the purpose of those, the benefit of those. But God, I pray that none of that would overshadow the relationship that we get to have with you. So God, I pray that we would understand that. I pray that we would trust that. God, I just want to spend a few minutes singing songs about your love for us. How you chased after us. God, we're grateful, we're thankful. God, I pray that you would help us to see it clearly tonight. To understand your love. Listen, as we sing, I don't know where your relationship with Jesus is tonight. Maybe you have no relationship with Jesus. But maybe tonight's the night you step in. Take that first step. Maybe tonight this song, just declaring these songs as truth for your life, is kind of that first step to begin to understand this relationship with Jesus. Begin to surrender control, surrender desires, surrender purpose, surrender everything about you and place it in his hands and say, Jesus, here's my life. Make it yours. Show me how to live. Let these songs be the response to Jesus tonight because of what we heard. God, we love you. We sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the student podcast. Check us out on Twitter or Instagram at COF Students.